even that those first couple of blogs, I realized there was something quite big happening because I was getting comments coming in from all over the world and with, with women writing things like, how do you know the exact words in my head? I thought I was the only person thinking this. And I was just sitting at my desk, you know, tears running down my face because I had been trying to have these conversations and no one would let me have them. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. If you want to start a movement that changes the way people all around the world think about a particular topic, then this will be a really interesting conversation for you to listen to. Jodie Day is the founder of Gateway Women, which has helped millions of women around the world to come to terms with involuntary childlessness. The social enterprise that now has touched millions of women's lives was started in 30 days in a course I used to run 10 years ago called the 30-Day Challenge. Jodie is also featured in my new book, Fuck Work, Let's Play, How to Do What You Love and Get Paid for It, as an example of somebody who's created a social enterprise and business around something she is very passionate about. And so I wanted to dive into more detail here about how she started that business in 30 days with a couple of things that seem like very small steps, and then how she managed to get through all the setbacks inherent in starting a business her own approach to running a social enterprise, how she's managed to scale up far beyond what she could have ever done as an individual psychotherapist, and some of the challenges she ran into when she moved from doing everything completely for free to charging a very modest amount. It's a fascinating conversation that spans the issues of involuntary childlessness right the way to marketing and entrepreneurship. Well, welcome, Jodie. Thanks very much for joining us. It's lovely to see you, John. Yeah, so you are currently in Ibiza. Yes, which, I'm sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> which is probably got a lot nicer weather, though, as you've just explained to me before we started. But uh, you're not seeing much of it because you have to stay in currently. It's a bit of a shame. Yes. So um, I'm fascinated in your journey because uh, as people have probably seen and if they've read the new book fuck work let's play they will know that your journey started in a small form on one of my courses a 30-day challenge and it's now 10 years ago is that right since that it'll be 10 10 years yeah um in april well march 2021 yes wow yeah and what's great do we feel old yes yeah i know i know and uh um, what's amazing is that you have this global reach now. I mean, how yeah. big is Gateway Women? I think that's quite a difficult thing to answer because the influence uh, of Gateway Women is kind of extraordinary. And I, um, the second edition of my of my book was came out earlier this year, and I um, reached out to sort of bloggers and and thought leaders in the space. And I got sort of 50 prestigious endorsements for my book. 
And then I and then I had a, a, a sort of an online launch with bloggers all around the world. And I had like 28 or 30 bloggers around the world writing about my blog in the sort of 21 days leading up to it. And it was very, um, well, it was kind of a bit overwhelming, you know, to see what, what the work Gateway Women has done means to so many people and to see how they see me. So the influence, you know, I mean, I was waiting to be called national treasure because it was getting that way. It was like, you know, the grand dame of childlessness, you know, the rock star. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I come up a lot in conversations, you know, I get emails from academics from all around the world saying we we've been talking to people about blah blah and everyone keeps mentioning your work wow and so there's this sense that it has had the most enormous i guess cultural reach for what is still a very very small organization it's really sort Mm. of one and a half full-time people working from home um you know and then we've got you know, thousands of members who've been through our membership community over the year, thousands of women who've done our workshops. And then the website has sort of sort of a global reach of about 2 million, you know, the little WordPress website that, you know, that I built and I've just, you know, I've just picked it up and tinkered with it over the years. Um, so it's, uh, I'd say the idea and um, for want of a better word, the brand of Gateway Women is kind of global. Yeah. Yeah, which is extraordinary. Yeah. And now I think you've, an idea whose time had come yes right yeah and that does help doesn't it i think you've changed the conversation as some people put it the way people think about childlessness i mean what how do you describe what gateway women does in your own words i call it a, a global friendship and support network for childless women so that is what women are looking for when they when they search for gateway women. They're they're looking for connection. They're looking for support. They're looking for sisterhood around an issue where they feel very alone and stigmatized. So that's sort of what it kind of does. But it has many more things, you know, to it than that. And I think, you know, I I, I you know, I'm considered to be the you know a thought leader in this space now. And and for me, that's that's a big part of the work now is more around what you said around moving the conversation forward. So there's the the support aspect, but I think there's increasingly a, a campaign and advocacy angle to the work as well. Yeah. And if we rewind right to the beginning when you're on my 30 day challenge with a couple of hundred other people, did you go into that course knowing exactly what you wanted to do did you already have this conception of doing something for childless women I did I didn't but that was that kind of almost evolved from coming to one of your scanners evenings I think at the point when I came to that scanners evening I had quite a different idea about what I wanted to do Um, and uh, and it wasn't focused on childless women but I think coming to that meeting and then bringing together my very personal experience and my troubles with childlessness and my desire to sort of, you know, to work for myself and do something. I just, you know, it was one of those things. I just thought, hang on, why don't I put these two things together? Why don't I put my entrepreneurial experience together? The thing that I really need support with, the thing I'm really passionate about and um, just do it as a 30 day project and kind of see what happens. Mm. Well, here we are. And what did you do in that 30-day project then? I built the very first version of the website, which still exists on WordPress. I wrote my first blog. 
and I committed to getting to giving a public talk about childlessness. I didn't actually give that talk within the 30 days, but I, I got it. I got it booked. And that was at a sort of a women's um, business networking thing. And there were only about eight women in the audience. And I think I knew about three of them. Um, but one of them was, you know, was a freelance journalist who went on to write an article uh, for The Guardian, which came out actually the following year. So that was, you know, that was the, the summer of 2011. It came out in February 2012. And it, it kind of exploded. Um, it, I mean, I still get people today writing to me who found that article in the, you know, in the archives of The Guardian. I mean, it had a it had what we now call a very clickbaity title, which was not really related to anything I actually completely said. You know, um, I think it's, um, I may not be a mother, but I'm still a person. Um, and I wish my friends would rec- realize that or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because in the article, I did talk about my experience without naming any names or even being at all critical about uh, a gathering that I'd been at where I'd felt extremely alienated. Um, and, um, that lost me a few friends, the, the way that was written about, um, but, uh, which is part of the experience of childlessness, unfortunately for so many women. I mean, I've had thousands of conversations about it over the years and actually I now call it the hashtag friendship apocalypse of childlessness when, um, you know, it's, there are a lot of challenges to maintaining your friendships as a woman, um, as a childless woman, with your friends who become mums, not all of them. Um, there are, you know, there are challenges and many of them go unspoken about. And it's the unspoken stuff that usually trips those friendships up. Right. And yes. I think that there's a milder version of it, but I notice uh, I don't have children. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, I don't think it's in, as intense, but I, I notice this pattern that, when people had their, when my friends had their first child, mm. I remained connected to them. When they had the second child, it was like good night, <laughs> it's over. Because, and it and what and it was just because, for me as a man, it's different woman to woman. I think, but um, they were then in their own world, which is so wrapped around children that there was nothing for us to talk about almost, and. Um, and so I, I'm used to losing my friends, but if not the first child and definitely the second child. And I think, um, I can only imagine it's much more intense when it's, you know, a woman. If you are, if you are, if at the same time you are grieving your childlessness and yet that is something unspoken and you're not allowed to talk about it because what often gets projected back onto you by exhausted and frazzled new parents is you're so lucky you dodged a bullet it's not all it's cracked up to be oh you're so lucky all that you know all the stuff so it's like they they sort of often not all not all of them move into a certain and probably very necessary obsession with family life um and and your, your life becomes off limits, unspeakable and irrelevant. And so that's, that's not a great place to, f- to, to maintain meaningful connections. And I think that that is what's so difficult. And I don't want to sort of be against, you know, parents in any way, because perhaps if the shoe had been on the other foot, I would have been the same. I mean, it is an, an overwhelming experience becoming a parent. Um, and I'm glad that those people choose to 
focus so intensely on the experience and on their children. You know, I guess it's as it should be. Mm. But what is so hard is is when that happens to all of your social group except you, yeah. and you kind of left out in the cold, um, and also made to feel somehow less than. That's really hard. Right. Yeah. And, and as you, I think you've mentioned in the past, there's always talk about hardworking politicians use this line of hardworking families and um and and they can become alienated and they know they have to win over the families and the parents so and and education is politicians are missing a huge trick actually because nobody is going after the the single childless female vote nobody is going after the childless couples vote And we are a massive group in society. You know, we are sort of, you know, one in five or one in four um, adults over 40. Um, It's like if someone actually spent some time seeking our vote, they'd win. Yeah, because that's enough to swing an election these days. You know, (laughs) it's like it's like when um, reminded me of when. Dominic Cummings was told that there's like three million voters no one even knows about, but you can reach on Facebook ads. And, you know, according to the drama made about the Brexit uh, situation, his eyes lit up of like these secret voters. It sounds a little bit like that. It's like maybe people should be talking to us. They should be talking to us, yes. Um, And, I mean, uh, the idea is that, you know, that somehow childless women particularly are sort of selfish um, when, you know, Data shows that actually, you know, particularly single childless women are the biggest contributors to political campaigns. They do the most amount of voluntary work not related to things to do with school and children. They do the untrendy, unsexy voluntary work. Um, So they're huge contributors to civic life and tax paying. And yet somehow they're seen as um, liggers, you know, hangers on in society. It's, um, I, I find this when I prejudice against uh, against childless people. Yeah, uh, I mean, when I first childless women. Yeah, and when I heard that that women were telling other women that they were selfish for not having children, my brain just went like, "What? I don't yes. understand." When when yes. the world's overpopulated, and when a lot of people have children just as a kind of default thing, there isn't really a lot of thinking that goes into it. So I don't, I don't, I can't get my head around how. It, it, it completely frazzled my brain for a while. I can't understand how that's considered it's, selfish. Theological, it's, it's, a, it's a belief that comes from an ideology called pronatalism. And this is a, this is a kind of a subsection of patriarchy. And it's a, an ideology that says that, that parents are more important as human beings than non-parents. And that, you know, and that particularly around motherhood, men in our society still under patriarchy have more power and prestige. So for women, motherhood is one of the, you know, one of the routes to a certain amount of social power. So, you know, to not be a mother is to be a kind of, you know, you've got sort of men, mothers, and then sort of um, childless women. So, but the idea that not having children is, is, is selfish, as you say, doesn't make any sense. But these are beliefs. They're not truths. As soon as you apply the slightest little sort of soups on of logic to them, they, they completely evaporate. I mean, one of my pushbacks would be, so you've never met a selfish parent? And most people go, oh, uh, you know. Or so you think if someone, for example, chooses not to have children, what is called child-free, which is a choice I absolutely support. Um, so if someone is really sure that parenting isn't for them, you would think it was 
uh, to me, I think it would be selfish of them to have children. Yeah. And in, you know, in generations past, when it wasn't possible to make that choice, how did that work out for everyone? So yeah. it's like the thing, you, you just start to push back a little. And if you can help people to be curious about the fact that these are entrenched beliefs rather than opinions, or uh, and that they, they actually have no basis in reality, and perhaps they don't even agree with them when they unpack them. This can be very powerful, but it's very provocative work. Yeah. The speaking yeah. back to privilege always is. Right. And and when you started this thing off, it you, you said that the Guardian article really launched things. Was there a moment, was it then, or was there another moment where you thought, I've really hit on something here? I think it, it came, you know, I think even that those first couple of blogs, um, I realized there was something quite big happening because I was getting comments coming in from all over the world and with, with women writing things like, how do you know the exact words in my head? Hmm. I thought I was the only person thinking this. And I was just sitting at my desk, you know, tears running down my face because I had been trying to have these conversations and no one would let me have them. They would just shut me down with what I call bingos. And actually, it's a word I took, you know, borrowed from the child-free sort of dialogue, which are these sort of predetermined statements that shut you down. You know, you're so lucky, you know, the ones I sort of said earlier, which are a way of actually breaking the connection and shaming you into silence. So it's like I couldn't have these conversations. And suddenly I put them online and everyone's going, well, I guess me too. And and also, I think, so the response to my work right from the beginning was really extraordinary. Uh, and the Guardian article amplified that massively. I mean, I, I, I probably had a thousand at least personal emails. And, uh, and some of those were thousands of words long where people just poured out their heart. And I was like the first person they'd ever, you know, shared this stuff with. It was, it was quite overwhelming because I felt a huge responsibility to, to respond to every single one of them, and it was quite emotionally exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Yeah. And so now what form does Gateway Women take? Because you, you've got a membership group that's a yeah. paid membership group that I mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the main thing that you focus on? It, it's, it is at the moment, yes, and in the pandemic, very much so. Um, because our in-person workshops, um, we've had to cancel those. Last one was in February. And um, so we have like a series of offerings. So there's the online community, which is really, really growing. It's at, I don't know, 700 plus members now and growing very fast. Um, it's grown a lot in the pandemic. Um, we're on Mighty Networks. So we're also able to offer a lot more. And we're starting our first courses run through the Mighty Networks platform Uh, this autumn as well Uh, uh, we've had meetups we've had a hundred plus in-person social meetups all around the world for the last last decade those also have been um, you know pretty much torpedoed by by the pandemic Um, so we've been running online meetups and um, yeah I suppose that's that's those those are the main things at the moment in the in the coronavirus times is um, is the online community, our online courses, and our online meetups. Right. And do you do you still do the longer course that's around designing your plan B? Yes, I do. So I 
This year has been interesting because this is the first year that it's been um, led by others. So I've been training um, other facilitators to lead that program. And it's a year long program called it's now called the Online B because I did transition that into an online program, luckily, before all this happened. So um, so that's so that's the latest thing that I've been training my facilitators to lead. Um, so we have one running in North America and one running in the UK, EU. And then next year, we'll have one for North America, one for UK and one for Australia as well. So we're kind of gradually growing, you know, growing our online courses side of things. And yes, it's not the same as, as sitting in the room, but with, you know, with a group of women um, every week, you know, every, once a month for a year. But the transformation that I've seen on the online B um, for those women who've done the course online has been significant. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with how, because I stay in touch with my bees as I call them, you know, and I see them continue to develop in the years after the course. And it's, in, it's incredibly gratifying to help people through a process of transformation. I'm sure you know what I mean, John, you know, when you see them, when you see them, you know, grow their wings and fly, Mm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a lovely moment and i guess and and you call it gateway women because it's it is a gateway you know one door closes but perhaps other doors open so other possibilities some things might be easier to do when you don't have children even though you desperately wanted them and and that's partly what plan the plan b originally was called the online b course is mm, about it's isn't it the mentorship program originally yeah, and then it became the online B. Um, but it's still very much the same, the same content, the same process, which is quite similar to the one that my book is based on. Um, it's, it's slightly, slightly different, but it's, it's what, what things do you need to let go of? Uh, what things do you need to embrace uh, in order to, to kind of embrace the life you're actually living rather than the one you thought you were going to be doing? So, it is actually a grief journey. I mean, at the core of all my work is grief as a transformational process uh, and really helping women understand grief, work with grief, befriend grief and allow grief to work. Actually, it's magic mm-hmm. uh, in our lives, which is a very, very kind of countercultural idea about grief. I believe that grief is the missing ingredient in change. Because we actually cannot change without letting go. And we cannot let go of anything without grief. And we see so many books about change and so much focus on change. And the reason I believe people find change is so hard is because they they aren't supported with the shadow side of change. It's always about the kind of the shiny transformational aspects. But transformation has a shadow side, an unconscious side. And we need to we need to take care of that side as well in order to go through the process. And um, so that's kind of what we teach. All right. That's really interesting. And you say, that, I mean, what's interesting about this is that you were training as a psychotherapist. You're now qualified, uh, are you? Thank goodness, yes. It's, <laughs> it's a long journey, isn't it? Mm. Um, and you, you, were qualif- you were qualifying at the time, training at the time. And a lot of people get stuck in when they're a practitioner or a therapist or maybe a complementary health practitioner or, or a coach, they can't quite get their heads around how you can do anything other than help people one-to-one or have, you know, an in-person 
small group that's that's very intimate. And that was when I was on some of the training stuff at Spectrum Psychotherapy. Um, that's basically the only two models you had. A one-day workshop is kind of one version of that small intimate group. But you found a way to reach far more people, to have 700 people in a group and so on. And what do you think has been the key to that, to to making that scale work? I think even within the very big group, like the, you know, the 700 plus membership group, we've now got 35 subgroups within it. So uh, around sort of around which members kind of coalesce. So we have like a, a single life subgroup for, for those facing the challenges of being single and childless. We have uh, one called Nomo Tribe, which is for those women who are really through their grief and out the other side and are kind of embracing the life unexpected. So it's like a really, you know, childless stepmothers, childless Christians. There's, you know, there's every kind of childless woman. And in a way, they they all find their home, their niche within within Gateway Women. Um, I think that one of the reasons I was comfortable um, working with larger groups was perhaps also my background as to what I'd experienced before Gateway Women, in that I had um, my marriage broke down at the towards the end of my thirties to do with my then husband's issues around addiction. And I had spent some time in 12-step groups after that, particularly one called Al-Anon, which is for friends and families of alcoholics and addicts. And I had seen for myself the power of peer-to-peer healing. And some Al-Anon groups in London are pretty big. <laughs> but I, it gave me confidence that um, – I said I learned my group leadership in those groups as well because I became – you know. You, you, Leadership of those groups rotates and is incredibly um, democratic. So the way they run is so it's I mean, the 12 step movement is as a, as a self-management system is quite superb. It's an amazing model. But I realized I didn't need to be an expert with a, in childlessness to help people. What I needed to do was bring people together, create a safe space, create a structure and allow them to talk. And that actually the healing would happen from that. And I think because of that, I, I not positioning myself as an expert. I think that de-stressed a lot of the things I wanted to do and allowed me to be experimental because and that was a quite helpful for me in that nobody had ever tried to do anything I was trying to do before. Hmm. There was no precedent for anything that I did with gateway women, which, although that's kind of scary, that's also kind of liberating. So when things also didn't work, and I think this is a really important thing for those people who are sort of starting out on an entrepreneurial journey, it's like, okay, so that doesn't quite work. So I tweak it like this and I'll tweak it like that. Okay, that one still doesn't work. Next. <laughs> you know, and I kept, I knew that what I had to offer and what I was trying to the kind of the container I was trying to create for these women was needed and wanted and welcomed. I just was working on exactly what it looked like and what worked best and how to charge for it. Um, And that was, that was tough, you know, moving it really from being an entirely voluntary thing that I was doing on the side of kind of writing and marketing jobs to actually turning it into um, something that would wash its own face financially and actually enable me to continue doing it. 
Yeah, okay. because if you don't get paid, then you can't do it full time, and um, unless you're already independently wealthy for some reason. So it is why the business model really matters. And yes. uh, yeah, I'm glad you found a way of doing that. And it can be sometimes a bit of a bumpy ride if everyone's been getting it for free. Oh goodness! Because she had a couple of death threats. Oh my god! When but, I, introduced, I mean, but yeah, your pricing's I, really low as well, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> When I introduced um, payment for the online community, membership payments, yes. And uh, I was asked, so it went from free to five pounds a month and it could stay free for anyone who couldn't afford it. So, you know, really not, I can't. So it's like, well, if you either object personally or you can't afford it, you're welcome to be free. Right. And it was an outrage. And there are some very complicated, unconscious issues around money when the money is around healing from childlessness. I mean, if I'd been charging for a yoga course or if I'd been charging for a baking program or something like that, there would be just a question of, well, can I afford this or can I not afford this? How much do I want to do this? But there is something about, um, and I'm sure it applies to some other areas in sort of mental health and wellness as well, where there is a sense that I need this help and it should be free. It should be free. I deserve this, you know, I, I, and that makes it sometimes extremely difficult. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a social entrepreneur. I, I, I do what I do because I want to, you know, I want to, and I'm proud to say I have created social change around this issue. It's never been a, around sort of, you know, make, making a lot of money. And if I do make any money, it goes straight back into, into it. Um, but it has been really challenging for me to deal with the pushback from people who think that I'm profiting uh, from their misfortune. And I, I get some, you know, I, I, it, I'm very, sen- you know, I'm very sensitive to that because it's so, so couldn't be further from the truth. No. Um, and it's, you know, I don't have a particularly tough skin. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, and my USP is my vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's my writing USP as well, you know. So it, it, I, it can be very challenging charging for something this sensitive. Yeah, I, I had some abuse when I went from, um, I ran Scanners Night for free for, for a year or two, I can't remember what, and then started charging £10 to come along. And that felt quite um, nerve-wracking to do. And some chap, it took a violent offence to and sort of ran a campaign of hate against me. And it, it's, I had that, yes. Yeah. yeah, and now looking back, you know, it's not something that would trouble me terribly because I've just toughened up a bit around some of those things. But because ultimately the answer is, well, well run your own damn scanners night. It's not like I've trademarked or anything. I mean, <laughs> I know you're, a bit, you're obviously a bit, bit of a nicer well, person than me. <laughs> you know, did say, right, we're leaving and, you know, we're going to leave and start our own. And I was right. like, with my blessing, you know. Good, the, yes, do you want any help? Yes. The more groups for childless women there yeah, are in the world, the absolutely. better. Um, and what they didn't realise is how much work goes on behind the scenes to create yeah. a digital product and a digital community. And so all of those communities, you know, folded very, you know, they didn't last very long because there weren't new members coming through. There wasn't a, a way to, you know, there's a lot goes on to keep, you know, to keep members engaged, supported, interested. Um, and if you're doing it right, it, it looks seamless. But yes. it is certainly not without effort. 
No, and we mentioned that when we run our free five-day challenge. It looks like I just turn up once a day and, and do a live, a Facebook Live. And I go, and I remind them and I say, like, there's a lot going on behind the scenes to deliver this experience. Um, and I, yeah, I, I wonder, quite a lot of people would like to do something like you, but they're not necessarily a trained psychotherapist. Is there a, I often get a little bit nervous if people wade into something that's really sensitive and they don't have any training. Do you think that's been critical to what you do? Um, I'll have to be honest. I think it has been hugely, hugely helpful um, to have some intellectual and emotional framework around the ideas I've been developing to understand even the stuff that was happening around around money and around the abuse I got when I charged. And I still deal with some of that, um, you know, to have more of an understanding of the the unconscious projections that were going on. Um, you know, the money is actually never really about money. <laughs> and it's never really just about money. You know, there's always more stuff going on. So and I think in terms of also the the amount of trauma that um, that so many of us are carrying, often even unknown to us. You know, it may be childlessness that, that that brings women sort of through the door of gateway women, but often they come with many other things that they need support with. Um, and it, it would be, it is challenging for, you know, I'm not saying someone who wasn't a therapist couldn't do it, um, but you it does equip you with a lot of tools to support some very vulnerable people when they, you know, people can get very, you know, very, very upset and very, very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense to me. And I, I am, you know, I try to keep an eye on those things when people have an idea, a business idea. And it depends, you know, obviously some topics are less sensitive and and that's fine. But if you're going into an area that's that sensitive and you don't have experience of dealing with really with the kind of things we've been talking about here and understanding the therapeutic process that would concern me. It's not even something that all therapists could do. So it's not like, you know, I, I recommend all therapists do this to, you know, to, to grow their practice because it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it just helps if you have that underpinning as well. Um, but I also know, you know, some amazing women in this space who do incredibly supportive work who don't have it. Um, so it's, it's not like it's absolutely a requirement, um, but I know it's been really important within Gateway Women. And, and each time I kind of grew grew in myself through my training, I realized that I was able to take my work with Gateway Women to a new level. And I did read once that, you know, you know, as a therapist, you know, your client can only heal to the level that your therapist is healed. It's like mm. you kind of have to go ahead. And so I think perhaps some of the the breadth and the depth of Gateway Women as an organization and the respect that it has has is partly due to you, John. You've done the training. Partly due to an, a lot of the extremely uncomfortable healing uh-huh. <laughs> and mirror yeah. work I've had to do. Yes. Well, I, I no, I agree, and I think it's a kind of that development you get from proper deep psychotherapy, particularly the training. I it, I did. I I didn't qualify as a therapist, but I did a lot of the programs that the, the, the trainees do, and. Um, and it's, I feel like it's a superpower that gives me an edge that no one else does because there's almost nobody 
there's very, very few people in the coaching world who have done any kind of proper deep psychotherapy training. And they, it, they, they're better at other things. You know, some of them are better marketers than me, for instance. Not many of them, but some of them. And, but very few of them oh, have exactly. that. I think you're a brilliant marketer. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but, but some of them, you know, just don't have that kind of um, depth of thinking about things. And particularly mm-hmm. when I'm working with people like you who are in this space of working with people, it becomes mm-hmm. particularly useful. But it's also useful in marketing because I think there's a lot of crossover between marketing and, and counselling and therapy and I've been interested in both for a long time. And it's about marketing is actually putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And humans, as a rule, all of us, including me, are generally terrible at doing that. Because if we went, we'd all have harmonious relationships 24 hours a day. You know, we get on with our, you know, our siblings, parents, um, children, employees, whatever it might be. But in actual fact, those things are all really quite complex because we don't see things from a person's point of view. So I think marketing is exactly the same. Um, And you mentioned before we started something about legacy. Is that something you're thinking about now? Yes. Um, I mean, Gateway Women will be 10 years old next year. And I think for the last couple of years, uh, well, about the last three years, I've been trying lots of different ways to kind of scale it and sort of move it away from being about working with Jody and more about sort of, you know, doing working with gateway women and with really mixed success. It's been extremely difficult. Um, and I... So I think I think that's also I think important to to understand that maybe one of the reasons why sort of founder-led businesses don't always survive or mm. or transform is actually it may it may not be you know the founder may have tried <laughs> you know it's 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 difficult because Gateway Women was built on my strengths yeah. you know it's, yeah. it it reflects my interests and my strengths and my qualities and my skills. So trying to get other people to come in and sort of, you know, to replicate running workshops and things like that, I'm one of the things I'm quite bad at is I'm quite bad at seeing what I'm good at. I, I have a tendency to, to, you know, if I find something easy, I just presume it's not very hard. <laughs> and, then, yes. and then other people and I'm suddenly other, you know, other people I, I can see when they start asking me questions about, well, how do I do this bit of the process? And I'm, I realize I have to think through something which is totally natural and instinctive to me and find a way to teach that. And so that's been a huge growth process for me and um, has made me, I, I think, more perhaps a little bit more appreciative of what I have done, um, but also recognizing that the process of just sort of handing it over to others to do is, is a lot more complicated, a lot more complicated. Um, and also that you know, the role of being a leader is, is, is very complicated in terms of what, what people project onto you, what they, unconscious, what they unconsciously seek from you that they don't even know that they're seeking. Um, so in terms of actually trying to, you know, develop a peer kind of relationships with people, you know, I, I, I haven't really been looking for em- employees as such, not that, you know, that's the structure we use, but actually to to find people who really have the both the ability consciously and unconsciously 
to, to step up and really lead um, is, is, uh, is a challenge. Um, and it requires a lot more mentoring and time and emotional labor and love and patience and than I had anticipated. Um, and so through that process, I've really, you know, I've really learned a lot and I have a wonderful team now around me that are, you know, are moving things forward. And the legacy for me really is I want Gateway Women to be there for the next generation, you know, for for those, the next generation of childless women that could have been our daughters, you know. Uh, I don't want them to have the experience that, that I'm in my mid-50s, you know, that I had of going through it completely in a vacuum. And um, so one of the things we're doing is um, I have um, a wonderful team member called Karen Enfield de Vries, a Dutch woman who's 41, who has been who's been working, you know, she did my online B with me and then she trained to lead Ignite Weekends and now she's leading the online B and now she's Gateway Women's kind of part-time operations director. And she is, you know, she's kind of a younger face. So she's more the face of the, you know, the generation because about 41, 42 is, is, is kind of the age a lot of women come to get, not all of them, but it's when they come to gateway women. It's when the sort of, for many, the doors are closing on their, on their motherhood journey um, or they realize they're closing them. So that's, that's important. It's like developing the stage, the next stage. And also for me, the, you know, my legacy is that, I have been transformed by the process. Mm. I have been transformed by the process of grief and the process of creating Gateway Women. And all of the things it's brought out of me, I didn't know, were in there. Mm. <laughs> um, and so the legacy is also moving forward for me and starting to create the next part of Gateway Women, which is how do we, how do we transition into conscious elderhood as childless women? You know, how do you become a radical, childless, older woman in a society that has no positive words for an older woman whatsoever, apart from grandmother? That's the only one. So that, you know, that for me is is the, the next part of the journey. Um, and I really, really want, in a way, the entry part of the journey, which is grieving and mourning the loss of motherhood, which is a massive piece of work. I want that to be there and I want it to be available all over the world, but I don't want to deliver it. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I, isn't it? I, I can't. No. And there are multiple ways of doing that. And I remember spectrum psychotherapy, you know, everyone was, was um, all the original founders were growing older and the, and the leadership team and they're the Europe's biggest humanistic psychotherapy group or center and training establishment. And uh, at one point, you know, he shocked us. Um, what's his name? Um, uh, who runs it? Name's gone blank. But he, one of the founders, um, Terry, said, uh, you know, maybe you won't survive. But he says, it's not actually all down to whether this centre continues to be here in Finsu Park and do what it does. It's just as much about um, these balloons going up, he said. So, you know, there was 
somebody down in Brighton doing something, I can't remember what, but they were starting their own centre. And it wasn't anything labelled Spectrum, but they trained at Spectrum and they'd taken the philosophy of Spectrum. And then there's somebody over in another place in West London living very Spectrum kind of thinking. And people then were taking it into the workplace and whatever else. And they go, so actually, even if a Spectrum centre disappears and gets turned into a, you know, a bar or whatever, 10 years from now, that's actually not the end of the story. And so I, I think it, see, I'm with I'm with him on that. For hmm. me, it's I want the work to continue. Yes, and that may that is necessarily going to evolve, and it might still be associated with gate women, or it might not. And there are things because I've always operated on a kind of we rise together mentality. So I'm extremely supportive of new ventures and new ideas and people coming to me. You know, so gate women now has this you know incredible reach and prestige. So I use that to support others, you know, to, to lift them up and, you know, I'll write about them and tweet them and I'll mentor them. And I do an awful lot behind the scenes that's totally invisible to because I'm interested in moving the cause forward. Yes. And exactly. I'm now seeing things happening, which actually I've had the idea that I would love to do X, Y or Z. And I simply don't have the time or the resources to do. And what's wonderful is I'm now starting to see other people are starting to pick up those parts of the issues. And many of the women in those organizations have kind of been through gateway women. I mean, it was quite last year at Fertility Fest, um, you know, because now I'm asked to chair things rather than speak at them. It's like this sense of kind of moving mm. up. In, you know, <laughs> um, it was a whole day of programming at the Barbican around involuntary childlessness. And it was extraordinary. Almost every person who stood up on the stage to do whatever it was, kind of name-checked gateway women or, or or me or how important, you know, and it was it was mind-blowing to realize, you know, the influence I'd had on these people, but then what it had enabled them to then offer in the world. I, I mean, I could cry now because I thought, that's why I kept on. You know, look, look that. So in terms of legacy for me personally, you know, which is a very loaded word when you're childless, mm. you know, I mean, I, I know I've created something that has set in motion things around the world. And that's an amazing, you know, an amazing feeling. Um, and I hope I hope that legacy, you know, that my legacy is that Gateway Women as some form of organization continues to support people. You know? mm. But I'm. Yeah, I mean, the work continues, even as you say, even if the name above the door changes. Yes, yeah. Well, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I'm so impressed with what you've done, and I find it very moving myself. So um, if people want to find out more about Gateway Women, what where should they go? Um, the website is gateway-women.com. So, um, but actually, you can also get to it with gatewaywomen.com. But uh, these days, you can. So the church in Texas, they didn't renew. They, they didn't finally renew, gave it up. <laughs> URL, so I've got that one now as well. And um, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram and the Gateway Women online community. You can find that through the website as well. Great. And your book uh, that came out this year, what's the name of that one? It's called Living the Life Unexpected. And it's got a new subtitle, which is how to, how to find hope, meaning and a fulfilling future without children. And that's with Bluebird, Pan Macmillan. And you can find all the details for that on my website as well. Cool. Well, thanks very much, Jody. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, John, for for your support and encouragement a decade ago. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Thank you.